Welcome to the Refine Your Health podcast with Dr. Dion. I'm a primary care physician, and now I can happily add podcaster. Tune in to each episode to hear great information on improving health outcomes, disease prevention, and overall community health advocacy. Thanks for listening. Now let's jump into today's episode to improve your health. Hello, listeners. It is your host, Dr. Dion. Thanks for checking out another episode of Refine Your Health. I want to discuss a topic this episode that really hasn't been focused on much in the media and rightly so seeing that we're in the midst of a pandemic. There have been nearly 15.4 million cases of COVID-19 in the United States and nearly 300,000 deaths thus far this year. And so I don't want us to ignore this topic and that is influenza. We're in the midst of flu season and it really hasn't been discussed a lot in the media. And I want to focus on this topic because number one, not only are we at risk for becoming infected with COVID-19, but we're also at risk for becoming infected with influenza. And I think a combination of being infected with both of these viruses can be potentially deadly. So there's no greater time than now to focus on discussing influenza. And I will be comparing similarities of COVID-19 to flu as well as how they differ because it's going to be important, especially during this season. According to the United States Center for Disease Control, influenza was responsible for 24,000 to 62,000 deaths. Highest death rates were in infants and the elderly during the 2019-2020 flu season. So what is influenza or seasonal flu? It is a contagious respiratory illness caused by the influenza virus, meaning the virus infects the nose, throat, and sometimes the lungs. The influenza virus is composed typically of two forms, which infect people, and that's type A and type B. These are the two types which cause a seasonal flu seen each year in humans. There are seasonal strands of influenza virus. However, there have been more lethal strands of influenza virus that have caused three global pandemics in the past 100 years. The worst of which was the Spanish flu of 1918. And many of you probably have already heard of this because our current pandemic is being compared to this pandemic of the Spanish flu of 1918. And It was estimated that about 20 to 50 million people died worldwide from the Spanish flu and nearly 549,000 died in the U.S. alone. Now, in doing my research on Spanish flu for this episode, you would think that, okay, it's called Spanish flu that it originated in Spain. That's not the case. It was stated that the first cases and deaths occurred in the United States, France, Germany, and the United Kingdom. However, during that time, I think it was during World War One, that there was censorship put on the media during that time. And Spain didn't have that type of censorship and they were able to report freely on the impact of the influenza virus pandemic during that time. And because they were able to do so, many people assumed that it started in Spain and that isn't the case. And during that time, the 1918 pandemic lasted two years. And an interesting fact that I learned from um, doing research about it is that they use masks to decrease the spread. And what their masks were made of were gauze and cheesecloth. So people, what we're having to deal with now using the cloth face mask, it could be worse. We could be walking around here with cheesecloths. So I think, you know, we have made such great medical advances and scientific advances that I'm appreciative that I don't have to walk around here with a cheesecloth strapped to my face. So wear your cloth mask, surgical mask, your N95 mask, because yes, it could be worse. 
So let's talk about when is flu season. Typically, flu season occurs during the fall and winter months in the United States. So that's why I think it's so important to discuss influenza season now since that we're in the middle of it and there's a potential risk of a COVID-19 surge with everyone who may have traveled to visit friends and families throughout the U.S. during the Thanksgiving holiday. So there's a risk for not only a surge in COVID-19 cases, but there's a risk for influenza cases as we enter the winter months. Now you may be asking yourself, how does the influenza virus spread? It can spread from person to person between people who are in close contact with one another. And it spreads by respiratory droplets made when people with the illness, such as flu, cough, sneeze, or talk, and can land in the mouth or noses of people who are nearby or possibly inhaled into the lungs. Also, it's possible for a person to get infected with human contact or by touching a surface or object that has the virus on it and then touching his or her mouth, nose, or possibly their eyes. And the flu virus may be spread to others by people before they even start showing symptoms or they may have very mild symptoms or they may not show symptoms at all. And if you think about it, the way influenza spreads is similar to what we've been told about COVID-19. However, how COVID-19 differs in that it can spread easily and very quickly compared to influenza. And that's why you hear in the news about super spreader events related to COVID-19. People with the influenza virus are more contagious in the first three to four days after illness begins. And in healthy adults, they are able to infect other people as early as a day before the onset of symptoms up to five to seven days after onset of symptoms. And if you think about kids and those individuals with weakened immune systems can spread the virus even longer than a week. And how does COVID-19 differ in the spread compared to influenza in that it's possible for people to spread the virus for about two days before experiencing signs or symptoms and remain contagious for at least 10 days after signs and symptoms first appear. And if someone is asymptomatic or their symptoms go away, it's possible to remain contagious for at least 10 days after testing positive for COVID-19. Individuals that are at increased risk for severe illness related to influenza, and that is 65 years and older, adults with chronic health issues, especially those with underlying asthma, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, chronic kidney disease, immune suppressed type of conditions such as cancers or HIV AIDS and pregnant individuals are at high risk for severe illness. Healthy children are at high risk for flu complications compared to if they were infected with COVID-19. Infants and children with underlying medical conditions are at increased risk for both flu and COVID-19. Now, younger children are at higher risk of severe illness from flu compared to COVID-19, where school-age children infected with COVID-19 are at higher risk for what a condition is called multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, which is often a rare complication of COVID-19. And what is meant by multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children is that it's a condition where body parts can become inflamed, including the heart, lungs, kidneys, brain, eyes, as well as the intestinal system. And of course, we don't know yet what causes this condition, but it has been seen in individuals who have become infected from COVID-19. Over the past 10 years, from 2009 to 2019, Blacks have the highest rate of hospitalization from flu, and second is American Indians, and then Hispanics slash Latinos 
have the third largest hospitalization compared to whites and Asian populations who are least impacted by hospitalizations for influenza. Now, if we compare that to COVID-19, which has disproportionately had worse outcomes for minority populations, including African-Americans and Hispanics. And a lot of these individuals we've already discussed, if you check out a couple of my previous episodes, they're at higher risk for becoming infected with COVID-19 because they are at higher risk to have these underlying medical conditions such as diabetes, asthma, obesity, heart disease. And many of these individuals have a higher risk of death rate and increased risk of exposure because many of these individuals in minority populations may be frontline workers as well as essential workers. So what are some of the signs and symptoms that individuals need to be looking for if concerns for influenza infection? Fever or feeling feverish or chills, shortness of breath, feeling tired, sore throat, runny nose or stuffy nose, muscle pain or body aches, headache, cough. Some people may have vomiting and diarrhea, but this is most common in children compared to adults. Now, after hearing some of those signs and symptoms, you may be thinking to yourself, wow, those are similar to COVID-19 and you would be correct. Compared to uh, COVID-19, flu viruses often cause mild to severe illness with the signs and symptoms that I previously mentioned. However, what is different about COVID-19, they may also have the symptoms of loss of taste or smell that makes it different from the influenza virus infection. So if you have these symptoms, you should seek medical attention for evaluation. So when do you seek emergency? That means calling 911 medical services. Let's say in children, they have increased breathing or rapid breathing. They may have bluish lips or face. They may have uh, complaints of chest pain. They may show signs of dehydration. That may be them not urinating or, you know, expressing tears when they cry. They may have risk of seizure if they have a fever of above 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Any fever in a kid less than 12 weeks, that's three months of age, they should seek emergency medical services because you want to make sure that they rule out uh, what we call sepsis, which is a major infection in infants less than three months of age. So some of these children may have underlying medical conditions. And if it's noted that they have worsening of their medical conditions, that's also reason to seek emergent medical services. Now in adults, they may exhibit some of the same symptoms. They have difficulty breathing. They may complain of shortness of breath, persistent chest pain or stomach pain, dizziness or confusion, seizures, worsening of their chronic medical conditions. That's when you need to call 911 and get evaluated. That's not one of those situations where oh let me just see how it goes and maybe it'll get better no call 911 for further evaluation so you can get appropriate treatment started right away as warranted so how long can some of these symptoms last after exposure or an infection so for both COVID-19 and flu you can have one or more days that can pass between a person becoming infected and starting experiencing symptoms However, how they differ in that flu typically develops anywhere from one to four days after infection compared to what we're dealing with now in COVID-19, where you can have, you know, five days after being infected before a person starts showing symptoms and symptoms can appear as early as two days after infection up to two weeks. So that's why you hear about, oh, people need to be quarantined for like 10 to 14 days. They recently made adjustments in the quarantine protocols for the Center for Disease Control, especially if someone has been exposed to a potential 
potential uh, COVID-19 um, infected individual that if they quarantine for 10 days and not symptomatic, then they can come off earlier than compared to uh, a person that may be symptomatic. However, every individual is advised to follow the CDC guidelines and the recommendations of their local health department in regards to quarantines. We've talked about what is the influenza virus as well as some of the signs and symptoms and when you should seek medical evaluation. Now, how is influenza diagnosed? There are several types of flu tests that exist and the most common are the rapid influenza diagnostic tests and they detect parts of the virus or influenza virus better known as antigens and the results come back in 10 to 15 minutes. Another common test used to diagnose influenza is rapid molecular assays, which produce results in 15 to 20 minutes as well, but they're more accurate than the rapid influenza diagnostic test that I just talked about. However, there are more advanced and sensitive tests that are commonly uh, used in hospitals as well as the local state health departments because they have specialized labs, but using these tests can result in results coming back in one to several hours after initial testing. It's beneficial to have the rapid testing so people can quickly be diagnosed, especially when there's an outbreak. And most of the influenza tests require a healthcare provider to swipe the inside of the nose or back of the throat with a swab and send for testing. I would like to also point out that rapid tests vary in their ability to detect flu viruses. And some people who are infected with flu have negative results. And this is what we call a false negative. If symptoms are present and they're consistent with flu, I often as a physician diagnose patients with flu and treat them accordingly, even though the rapid test may be negative for that particular strand of influenza. Many of you may be wondering, since some of the symptoms are similar for influenza as well as COVID. Is there a test that can check for both? And there is one that exists, but they're available at most state health departments and they can test for influenza A and B as well as COVID-19. But because these are such specialized testing, they're not available commonly in your doctor's offices or other types of clinics, because as mentioned earlier, you need special equipment to run these particular tests. And most often they're going to be available at your local health department facilities that have these special machines to run these labs. So some of you may be asking, okay, what are some of the complications of flu? And that could be pneumonia, you have respiratory failure, heart attack, stroke risk, multi-organ failure, where that it also may include kidney failure, worsening of underlying medical conditions, inflammation of the heart, brain, or muscle tissues. Also, individuals may be at risk for a secondary infection, which is a bacterial infection, because we're talking about viruses in relation to influenza. So how does influenza differ from COVID-19 and its risk of complications. Most people who get flu recover in a few days or less than two weeks, but some may develop some of these complications that we talked about. However, with COVID-19, individuals are at increased risk for what we call blood clots in the veins, arteries in the lungs, or even the brain. And, and then also we talked about earlier the multi-system 
inflammatory syndrome in children, which is a rare complication of COVID-19. But this is how COVID-19 differs somewhat in regards to complications compared to flu, where most people are able to recover within a few weeks. And it's usually a milder type of illness compared to COVID-19, where you can get really sick. Although I will like to reiterate that majority of the people that do get COVID-19 do recover, but they are at increased risk of a severe illness more so than compared to the influenza virus infection. Okay, how is influenza treated? Many of you have already heard of one of the treatments for influenza, and that is Tamiflu, which is a pill, but there are many types of medications and they're called antivirals, which treat influenza and come in a pill form, powder form, inhaled form, or through IV, which is something that you basically receive through hospitalization where they inject it to treat. In using these antivirals for treatment of influenza, it is best to start treatment within a couple of days of onset of symptoms to receive maximal benefit. However, you can receive some benefit if you end up starting treatment later. The best outcomes have been shown if you start antiviral medication treatment earlier. I do like to emphasize that even though you receive may receive treatment for influenza, it does not resolve the infection right away. However, it does decrease a person dealing with symptoms by one to two days. So to get quicker relief from dealing with influenza infection for a longer period of time, this is a benefit of antiviral medications. And some individuals may be asking, can children receive antiviral medication treatment for flu? And yes, they can. In children two weeks or older, Compared to COVID-19, where many individuals may be confused and think there's currently a known treatment for COVID-19, and that is not the case. There is no current drug or other therapeutic approved by the Food and Drug Administration to prevent or treat COVID-19. Now, some of you may have been hearing about remdesivir, which is an antiviral agent that has currently been explored to treat COVID-19, but that is under emergency use authorization only. And that is not designated as a current treatment or a preventative measure for COVID-19. Some of you may be thinking, I just don't even have to deal with any of these symptoms for from getting infected with the influenza virus at all. So how can I do that? And one way to prevent risk of infection with the influenza virus is getting a flu vaccine. And many of you probably have already been hearing about this, that a lot of scientists and medical societies have been recommending that everyone gets the flu vaccine in the midst of a pandemic, which I agree because we don't want to be at risk for becoming not only infected with the flu, but also COVID-19, which could be potentially deadly, as I mentioned earlier. So the way to prevent becoming infected is getting an annual flu vaccine. And the reason that we recommend getting an annual flu vaccine is that the flu virus itself changes constantly. And that's the reason why we have to develop a new vaccine every year to potentially protect against an ever-changing influenza virus. And the way the influenza virus is able to change constantly is via a method of an antigenic drift or shift, which is basically the virus changing itself slightly. However, that's a little bit too in-depth to discuss during this episode, but because it's able to do that, that's why it is necessary to have a different flu vaccine each year against 
different strands of a seasonal influenza virus. And most scientists try to anticipate which will circulate each year and include that in the annual flu vaccine. And usually they try to protect against three or four flu virus strands within that vaccine. There are two major types of influenza vaccines, and that's the trivalent as well as the quadrivalent. And the quadrivalent is the type of vaccine which I've seen mostly used by many providers because the trivalent is mostly used in individuals 65 years and above. So there are different types. And for younger individuals, there's an age-appropriate quadrivalent vaccine available starting at the age six months and above. And if a child has not been vaccinated before with the influenza vaccine and to develop immunity, they will initially need two doses of the flu vaccine four weeks apart to develop immunity. And after that, they will benefit from just one dose of the flu vaccine annually like an adult. However, there is a version of the flu vaccine which is beneficial for individuals greater than 65 years of age, and that's the high-dose influenza vaccine because these individuals, as we discussed earlier, have a higher risk of complication as well as hospitalization from an infection with the influenza virus. So this dose is recommended for this age group. Now, there's a live attenuated influenza virus vaccine, and that is something that is received intranasally, um, which is called flu mist, some of you may have heard of, and that is recommended for ages two through age 49. Individuals who should not receive the live vaccine is a pregnant individual, someone who's immune compromised, and some other groups as well. And for individuals that should not receive the influenza vaccine, if they've had a severe allergic reaction in the past to the flu vaccine, or if they're allergic to some components, the most common allergy that we recommend that you may avoid having the flu vaccine is you have a potential egg allergy. However, there are vaccines that are out there that are egg-free and preservative-free. So that may be an option for some of you individuals. That's something that needs to be discussed with your healthcare provider prior to vaccination. Now, some people ask, okay, can I still get infected with the flu if I get the vaccine? Yes, there is a potential that you can become infected with the flu. And there's typically four different scenarios. And like I tell every individual with any type of medication or preventative type of measure such as vaccination, nothing's 100%. However, it may minimize the symptoms that you develop if you do become infected, where they're not as severe. The risk of becoming infected with the flu despite getting the vaccine, if you were potentially exposed a few days prior to getting the vaccination, if you unfortunately became infected with the flu and some people just don't respond appropriately to the vaccine, even though it was protective against the flu for that year. The other reason is the scientists may have guessed wrong in regards to the particular strand that would be prevalent during the flu season and it wasn't included in the vaccine. So you may have a risk of infection in that case. But majority of the time when people do get the influenza vaccine, it is protective a majority of the time against the influenza virus infection. And now you can get the flu vaccine anywhere these days, especially during this pandemic. You can get it at your local pharmacy, your local doctor's offices, local health departments. So if you're interested in getting a flu vaccine this year, it should not be difficult to receive vaccination because they're accessible majority of places 
Now, how does this differ from COVID-19? With influenza, we have known flu vaccination for individuals. With COVID-19, there's new developments in the production of a COVID-19 vaccine. And if you want to know more information about that, definitely check out my previous episode on COVID-19, antivirals, antibodies, and vaccines. But they there has been progress in vaccination production that recently um, had positive efficacy that was noted for the Pfizer vaccine, as well as the Moderna. The Approval has recently been made for the Pfizer vaccine, and I think now they're still awaiting approval for the Moderna as well as the final results uh, for the AstraZeneca. And I think still to come is the Johnson & Johnson vaccine reports as far as the results from their vaccination study in the phase three clinical trials. We want to make sure that, you know, we are patient during this time as the results continue to come out about the efficacy and the safety safety of these vaccinations. The initial reporting has been positive as far as the safety for these vaccines as well as their effectiveness, especially as it relates to the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine so far. Therefore, I want to encourage you to get the influenza vaccine to at least be able to protect you during the flu season as we especially go into the winter months and potentially deal with the surge of cases this winter from the COVID-19 pandemic and to make sure that, that we continue to wear our face masks when in public places, continue to physically distance six feet apart or more, and to make sure that we're frequently washing our hands, as well as disinfecting frequently touched surfaces to decrease the spread of not only COVID-19, as well as the flu virus. The great news is that since we have been implementing all of these protocols for COVID-19, there have been low confirmed cases of flu activity thus far this flu season, which is great. I think if we continue to follow these protocols that we're following for the CDC for COVID-19, that we can minimize the impact of flu this season. However, I still will encourage individuals to get the flu vaccine. I've already gotten mine for this year so that we can decrease our risk from becoming simultaneously infected with flu as well as COVID-19. And please, if you have any of the signs and symptoms discussed during this episode, seek medical attention. As discussed earlier, if you experience any of the emergency type of signs and symptoms that you call 911 in order to have immediate medical evaluation and management. So before I get out of here today, I want to encourage everyone to be safe during this holiday season. I hope you're able to safely enjoy family and friends. And this would be my final episode for 2020. And I've hoped the content that I've provided this year has been beneficial. And if it has, definitely subscribe and feel free to share with your friends and family. And please leave a five-star review on your streaming platform of choice. And I hope to be back in January 2021 with more amazing content to improve your health. So definitely subscribe so you can get the newest episode when it drops. And this is your host, Dr. Dion. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please subscribe and feel free to tell your family and friends to check out the podcast. And remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and the thoughts and opinions do not constitute medical advice.